Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Mystery and thriller readers, this one's for you. We're giving away the 10 best mysteries and thrillers of the year so far to one lucky Book Riot reader or podcast listener. The prize pack includes Miracle Creek by Angie Kim, The Lost Man by Jane Harper, American Spy by Lauren Wilkerson, and more. Just go to bookriot.com slash bestmysteries to enter to win, and don't forget to leave your lights on. Hello, and welcome back to When in Romance. Great place to talk about romance stuff and things that are happening in the world, featuring romance authors and people who read it, or pretend to read it, as we'll talk about <laughs> later. Uh, I am Jess. And I'm Trisha, and that was a fantastic tease. <laughs> this is episode 42, and we are recording on September 5th, 2019. We are indeed. And I have to, I, I already told Jess this, I can't not tell people. I am recording from my parents' house and my mom, as I've mentioned before, she did not read a lot of romance when I was growing up, but she does read a lot of books about Catholicism and religion and Jesus and saints. And I am currently in the den in like enmeshed with hundreds of these books. So this is maybe <laughs> the first romance podcast ever to be recorded in the presence of literally hundreds of books about religion and Christianity. So, so be <laughs> jealous, <day>. everyone. <laughs> so jealous. I am so jealous. <laughs> um, I think we have to start today with a uh, correction on my part. Um, I mentioned, uh, we talked a little bit about an article that Kelly Jensen did um, in our last episode. Kelly Jensen is an editor at Book Riot. And I called her Kelly Jenkins. And I don't know what I was thinking. It must have been sort of the ocean air that I was breathing back then because <laughs> her last name is Jensen. And actually, she and I spent a lovely day together at the Wisconsin State Fair. So I don't know how I messed that up, but I did. And I apologize. Um, I apologize. So um, if you're looking for Kelly, who is at Book Riot, you want Kelly Jensen. <laughs> That's great. Perfect, Tricia. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you, Jess, for catching that. She, she was like, you know, I think we have a Kelly Jensen. And I was like, yeah, we do. What are you talking about? She's like, yeah, that's <laughs> not what you said, though. So that's on me. <laughs> And we also, we wanted to do a quick shout out. The uh, hashtag rombookpod launched this week. Um, and actually, I have another name correction because I realized when I was listening to the first really delightful episode that I have been pronouncing Anna Koki's name wrong the whole time that we've been talking about her in the Rom Book Love Project. So again, my apologies to Anna for that. Um, but it's actually a really lovely podcast. Uh, it, the first episode, um, they had um, Aria and Suzanne. Um, Aria is from Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and Suzanne is from Love in Panels. And the three of them, Anna as well, talked about uh, romance books that feature uh, like education. So whether it, they take place in a school or... Um, you know, between teachers or they're sort of the new adult college books or, um, you know, uh, Anna mentioned, you know, one with a school librarian. It's a really fun podcast. They talked about um, both the books and what they loved about them, but kind of some of the intricacies of the larger theme of education in romance as well. So that was a lot of fun to listen to. 
Awesome. I will listen to that at some point in the near future. Yeah, be careful. Uh, and, and because it is definitely one of those uh, podcasts that meant I ended up adding approximately 1 million billion books to my TBR. So that's fine. A lot of them were actually already on there. So it worked out great. Oh, okay. That's always nice. Um, but we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, we will link to that so you can find it. Um, did I mess up anybody else's name, Jess? Or should we do an ad spot? <laughs> Is there any other correction <laughs> I have to make? I think we're good. I think we can All right. move on. Okay, perfect. I will let you uh, take it from there then. All right. Well, this episode of Win and Romance is sponsored by Shadow Mountain Publishing and The Lady and the Highwayman by Sarah M. Eden. Uh, Elizabeth Black is the headmistress of a girls' school and a respected author. But by night, she writes Penny Dreadfuls under the pseudonym Mr. King. Fletcher Walker is the most successful author in the Penny Dreadful market, that is, until Mr. King started taking all of his readers. Determined to find him, Fletcher approaches Miss Black for help. <laughs> um, Elizabeth agrees, if only to ensure her secret identity is never discovered. What neither author anticipated was the instant attraction. It's upper class against working class, author against author, where readers, reputations, and romance are all on the line. You know, this, I, I have seen this book in various places, um, just, you know, on Twitter or people mentioning them. And I didn't read what it was about because I was afraid of having yet another book to add to my TBR. And look at what happened. <laughs> it just showed up where I had to read about it. Um, it is on sale now and it is from uh, Shadow Mountain Publishing, which means it is a, um, I guess you want to call it a sweet or clean romance. I can't remember what category Shadow Mountain um, puts it in, but um, don't let that turn you away from what sounds like an awesome book about rival writers. Yeah. And I actually had to search while you were um, talking just because I did not know. I will confess my ignorance, uh, but I didn't know what a Penny Dreadful was. So in case anyone else also didn't know, courtesy of Wikipedia, Penny Dreadfuls <laughs> were cheap popular serial literature or produced during the 19th century in the United Kingdom. The pejorative term is roughly interchangeable with penny horrible, penny awful, and penny blood, which is kind of intense. So I guess they were sort of <laughs> serials and they all uh, cost a penny and they were typically sort of these sensational exploits of characters like Sweeney Todd, Dick Turpin, Varney the Vampire. So uh, it sounds kind of amazing. This sounds like a romance about people who are publishing horror stories. Which mm -hmm. is super cool. I like it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's perfect perfect season for it. It's September. It's <gasps> oh, Halloween. It's true. We're um, getting so close. I realized that if I just looked at the cover, I would see the words "proper romance" together, which is what uh, Shadow Mountain Publishing categorizes their romances without sex on the page. Oh, interesting. All right. That is the Lady and the Highwayman by Sarah M. Eden on sale now. Yay! Yay! All right. Cool. Uh, I feel like our first thing that we wanted to touch base on, I think you even mentioned it's, it's a relatively quick, like, hey, everybody, please don't be a jerk kind of a story. Yeah. And we've talked about Nalini Singh um, before. She's an author. She's based in, oh, gosh, I want to say Australia, but now I'm wondering if it's actually New Zealand. It's New Zealand. Oh, see, you know what? I'm going to let you take it from here. I'm... <laughs> 
I failed already, like, multiple times so far today. So I'm going to let you take this one. Oceanic, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you've got the region. You're so right? supportive. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so Nalini Singh, um, what I didn't know before this whole controversy came out, she sponsors two authors to go to the New Zealand Romance Authors Annual Conference. Um, and... One of the people that she sponsored this year wrote an article after she went writing about, let's just say it's not a good article. A, it's kind of oddly written, and B, it is the worst kind of article about romance writers full of, you know, the cliches that we expect someone in 2019 who knows anything about romance to not touch. But anyway, it turns out that this person used sort of false advertising to apply for this full scholarship from Nalini Singh directly herself to go to this conference um, because she wanted a paid vacation away from her kids. That's what the article seems to say. And basically what it came down to was, don't do that. Yeah. Don't, Don't be that guy. She is already that guy. People have been like, are you going to like give the money back now that we've seen you're a fraud? And I, I haven't heard anything from the author herself, the author of the article, where I'm not going to call her an author because... Yeah, fair point. The writer. The writer. <laughs> but it was just kind of one of those things where Nalini, it, as her gracious, usual self, encouraged people to donate to places that would provide actual assistance to actual romance authors in other places. And other people have just been like, so what's going to happen here? Um, But it's just one of those things where it's like, who does that? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, very much in the category of like, who does that? And then essentially brags about it by writing an article. I mean, I think we know who does that. And it's people who are targeting romance, right? Mm-hmm. You could not have, I, I mean, I'm not going to say that there's no other genre that you could have gotten away with, you know, doing this kind of a thing. But I think it's not a coincidence that it happened to be a romance conference and a person who used all of the, like you said, the ridiculous sort of innuendos and, you know, disrespectful terminology that uh, this author did and yeah, it's just kind of a garbage thing to do. But it was sort of um, inspiring to see the number of people who, first of all, talked to who, you know, shamed her to the extent that probably she needed to be shamed. And also, um, it was a good reminder of the impact that Nalini Singh has had on a lot of people um, and that these kinds of scholarships have on a lot of people. I saw people um, talking both about the impact that Nalini has had on their writing and their work and also about um, how important those opportunities have been to them in their careers. You know, I guess if we're going to take the good side of it, there's that. And in the meantime, everybody, please don't be terrible. Please don't be terrible. That's absolutely right. Yeah. So we will, um, I will link to a better article about Nalini Singh in case you don't know a lot about her. Uh, and I will also, if I can find it, link to the, um, like you said, Jess, she was promoting some different uh, avenues for people to donate and offer support to um, different authors. So I will see if I can find that link as well. So those will be in the show notes. Awesome. And unfortunately, we have another don't be that guy 
kind of story to talk about. Yeah. And like, don't be that group of guys in publishing. Um, yeah. So you, if you are on romance Twitter, you may have seen some of the conversation that's been going around recently um, about dream spinner press. And one of the things that um, Jess and I chatted about just a little bit before the show is that most of, if not all of the conversation I've seen about this has been on Twitter or on social media. I think for me, it's been all Twitter. Um, I looked for a, you know, Publishers Weekly or some other news outlet, um, having done some reporting on this, and I haven't found anything yet. But self-reporting in this case is actually incredibly valuable because the long and short of it is that uh, Dream Spinner, for reasons that are a little unclear at this point, um, has been shorting their authors, many of their authors, it sounds like not all of them, um, the money that they are owed through, I believe it's just royalties that I've seen reports about, Jess. I don't know if you've seen different. I'm pretty sure it's been just royalties. Yeah. And it's um, TJ Clune, who I know you've talked about and recommended on the podcast, um, has been talking about it. E.E. Um, e. Ottoman has been talking about it. And I think E.E. E. Ottoman may have published with them. I'm not actually sure. I know Anna Zabo um, specifically mentioned that they are not a Dream Spinner author, but has been talking a lot about it. And actually in a way that unsurprisingly from Anna is very thoughtful and um, a lot of good reminders that the authors who stay with Dream Spinner as a result of not getting paid or not at fault, the authors who, whether you leave or you stay, this is not your fault. Whether you are a reader who does continue to buy Dream Spinner books or doesn't, this is not your fault. Um, Dream Spinner alone is really at fault for not paying their people. I mean, a lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck. And if you're not getting paid, you're kind of, I mean, TJ Clune mentions being owed tens of thousands of dollars by Dream Spinner Press. And that's, honestly, it's just not a way to run a business. It really isn't. And way back when, when the first, like, conversation started on Twitter. I remember uh, somebody said they'd gotten a missive from Dream Spinner about them switching like payroll software or something. And there had been some kind of mix up. Um, but that, that doesn't lead into several months worth of not being able to pay your authors. There's something else happening here and I don't know what it is. Um, but there are several authors that, that like Piper Vaughn, uh, just pulled their stuff from Dream Spinner. They publish in a few, few different places, but they just mentioned that they had started the process of, um, having their rights reverted. And then Garrett Lee actually had requested, I think, her rights reverted for a particular publication, like a, the most recent book, and Dream Spinner published it anyway. Like, there was some really weird stuff going on with that one. So, like, even if they end up being figuring out how to pay all of these authors that are owed months and months worth of royalties, this whole breaking of trust is is way worse than what, like than I could see recovering from for the, this particular group of authors and their supporters. It's totally true that there are some authors who really, they, like, they can't afford to have their rights averted, or they have other reasons for staying with Dream Spinner. But, like, even they, I, I wonder if they are s sort of feeling the heat of being involved with a publisher that's not completely on the up and up. And even if it's all accidental, how do you get there? Yeah. And I think that's, I think you make a good point, Jess, that 
the the broken trust as a result of just a lot of just a real lack of transparency is hugely problematic both now and in the future if dream spinner is ever trying to come back from this um and it does i mean it's you know someone made the really good point that there's a I think Anna Zabopod published um, screenshots from a, a letter um, that the Dream Spinner folks sent out. Apparently, they're sending regular Tuesday updates. But, you know, there's a lot of mention in the letter about the mission and turning things around and kind of not necessarily saying, hey, we're all family, we all have to work together, but just kind of insinuating that we've tried to always do the right thing and people are going to get their money faster if we stay in business and we're committed to doing what we can. And it's, it, I think it's ringing false for a lot of writers, um, particularly the ones who can't pay their bills because they're waiting on payment. So it's, I mean, it's, it's just, it's an unfortunate situation all around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I only really just got into dream spinner. Like I, I had been been aware of their existence and probably owned a few of their books for the past few years, but it's only been the past few years that I really sort of um not only understood their product, but really supported specific authors that I discovered there and then went to explore deeper into their catalog. And... Uh, you know, I don't know what their regular intake looks like. They have a pretty deep catalog, but it's also one of those where it's like very niche, not just because it's mostly gay romance, but also just some of the particular types of universes that the authors write there are something that everyone is looking for. So I really hope that they can figure this out because the people who do go to Dream Spinner specifically for the types of books that they can find there, that it's really hard to find them in other places. Like Nine Star Press is still around and they write some pretty adorable stuff there, but it's a much smaller press than Dream Spinner. Yeah. And I think it's a, I think it would be great if all of the small presses publishing uh, queer romance were doing better than this one for sure is and then unfortunately a lot of the other ones are through no fault of their own it's just small being a small publisher is a difficult thing to do um but i also think this is a good reminder that mainstream publishing needs to also do a better job of publishing a broader group of romance stories you know i think truth other publishers shouldn't be able to just say to themselves oh whatever dream spinner exists or um some other small press exists so we're fine just doing the things that we've always done. It's it's time for that. This is just one more reason why the bigger companies that can, you know, not that, I mean, I'm not going to say all publishing companies in the big five are, are healthy or great or whatever, but <laughs> there's a good chance that they're paying their people. So some of those people should maybe also be writing queer romance. So there you go, publishing. We've solved your problems again. There you go. But yeah, I, we'll we'll keep folks posted if we hear more about this. But unfortunately, um, it's just kind of a bummer at this point. So, you know, keep an eye on some of the authors that we mentioned. Abigail is another one who I know is trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and I, I believe Abigail pulled her books from 
Dream Spinner and might be self-publishing. So at any rate, all that to say, if you can kind of find a way to support some of the folks that are trying to navigate this right now, I'm sure that they would appreciate it. Yes, I am sure that they would. So that's our bummer news of the week. (laughs) Bummer news of the week. Uh, Let me tell you something more fun and interesting and exciting. And that is that we have a new-ish, mostly new, uh, season of Recommended Book Riot's podcast in which we are talking to interesting people about their favorite books. So season five has just premiered. And uh, over the course of the season, we're going to hear from authors Nicole Dennis-Ben and Tamsin Muir, uh, disabled and cute creator Kia Brown, and cartoonist Jen Wang, and many more about the books that have shaped their reading lives. Um, so you can go to bookriot.com slash recommended to listen. And if you are not uh, subscribed to this podcast, you should definitely consider checking it out. Um, we, I didn't, the season five names that I mentioned did not include any um, romance-specific authors, although I have to find this uh, note that um, I got because I learned uh, that one of the folks, hold on, let me find this. Oh, Tamsin Muir has Gideon the Ninth, which involves lesbian in space, and Kia Brown apparently is just very cool. I mean, Kia Brown is pretty cool from what I know of her on on the socials and seeing the cover of the book. But yeah, Tamsin Muir, Gideon the Ninth is one of those that's on my table to like read someday because it's not only lesbians in space, it's lesbian necromancers in space. Oh my god, um, that's amazing. But it is not a romance and she did mention know. specifically that it's not a romance but it seemed like she was like you know there might be some overlapping interests and i was like <laughs> yes there might that sounds amazing um yeah. but we have had a variety of if you check out some of the backlist too um you will find mia sosa you'll find rebecca weatherspoon um jasmine guillory um i know sarah wendell who is on our podcast did one of these i want to say tessa dare did so there's a there's a good cross-section of different authors. And I think sometimes I will listen to it and um, find authors recommending books that are very different from the ones that they themselves have written, which is kind of cool in and of itself. So mm-hmm. um, anyway, do check out Recommended. And you can find that again at bookriot.com slash recommended to listen and find out more from your favorite authors about necromancer lesbians in space. Awesome. I think we're done with bummer news. Are we done with Yay! bummer news? <laughs> yeah, I think we're done with bummer news. Let's talk about the exciting stuff. Let's and let's see if I can get through the rest of the episode without messing things up. No promises. <laughs> but we'll see. Um oh we so we're very excited because it is September, which means it is great big romance read month. Mm-hmm. I, I, I thought maybe you were going to be, um, like slightly more excited, but I think I caught you like while drinking water or something. Um, yeah, that was totally a tea excited yay. <laughs> um, but yes, we are actually super excited. We're going to do our full discussion on our next episode. But in the meantime, we thought we would talk a little bit about some of the themes and interesting pieces in The Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics by Olivia Waite. Yay! Now I'm like very hesitant to say any words with more than two syllables or that are names because <laughs> I think I'm going to get them wrong. Um, so I will confess, I am only maybe like a third of the way through this book, but so far I am enjoying it very much. I'm so delighted. Um, are there things that come to mind for you, Jess, that you know that you're going to want to talk about when we do a deep dive? Yes. And funny thing enough, fun. see, now I'm doing it. It's contagious. <laughs> it's contagious. <laughs> 
funnily enough, I just read the review that I wrote for my library's website because my office mate came in and was like, I picked this book up because you wrote about it on the website. And I was like, yay. Um, and I just wanted to remind myself what I wrote about. And some of the themes in there were like, yes, yes, this is what I want to talk about. So one of those is, um, how Olivia Waite plays the power dynamics between the two characters, because, you know, one is paying the other to live. Um, so. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I also, I don't have a sense yet. There seems like there might be a little bit of an age disparity, but not huge, right? I want to say yes, but not huge. Like, there may be a few years, but no more than a decade. But I, that is one thing that I don't remember seeing any hard numbers on. Well, and I'm, like I said, about a third of the way through and I haven't either. So, so that sounds like the power dynamics are the more interesting. Yes, definitely. Okay. That's helpful. I'm like taking notes on what I should be watching for as I'm finishing the book. <laughs> um, another thing that I just, I feel like it would be a, a fun thing to talk about is like the capital letters science society bros. Like, (laughs) for some reason, it's just fascinating to see how that whole thing works. And also great to watch the women interact with it, just because they're so bro. They're so bro. Mm -hmm. It's like 19th century bro. Yeah. You always feel like it's bad in present day, and then you read about the past and you're like oh yeah actually it was it was worse it was yeah Yeah. got it yeah and i i mean and this is i am relatively like i said not into the book super far yet but so far it's been really interesting to me for to kind of just see where the two the two characters are in in very different places in terms of it seems comfort with their sexuality Mm -hmm. it kind of just it's like I said, it seems that, you know, it's taking a little bit more time for, uh, is it Catherine to get used to? Mm-hmm. I'm like trying to, I'm looking up, uh, like I said, now I'm all paranoid. Um, and, and like thinking that I'm going to call the different people the wrong things. But anyway, <laughs> uh, it seems like it's taking a little bit more time, um, for Catherine to get used to the idea that she might be attracted to Lucy. Lucy was in a long-term um, although secret relationship with a woman and again, seems pretty confident in her knowledge of how she feels about women and that that is who she's sexually attracted to as opposed to, you know, uh, where Catherine who was married for several years might be. So I don't know, like I said, so far that's been kind of an interesting thing to watch and I'm sure it will continue to develop to develop as I continue to read. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it will. <laughs> you know so many things. Oh, you know this is. I, I think I mentioned it last time. I actually I read an arc of it on in an airport and on a plane on my Kindle. Um, but this is one of those that when I went to my local bookstore for um, bookstore romance day, I needed to have a hard copy, and they had hard copies. So. So now you are the proud owner. I am the proud owner. Is there anything else that we should be keeping an eye out that you can think of that um, might be notable or watchable or whatever else? 
You know, I don't know how we how we would actually talk about this um, in an episode of this podcast. But one thing that I really noticed when I was reading was just sort of some of the complete art that were Olivia Waite's words. Mm. And it's like she, there were sentences that I just read over and over again. It was just like, uh, she broke me. Um, so maybe consider the, the things that people are saying and that the narrator is saying that really just like talk to you. And it could just be me. <laughs> no, I don't, I doubt it. Like I've noticed that the writing is, is also very good because there is, I think romance novels tend to, I shouldn't say tend to, in many cases, romance novels have a lot of dialogue and um, use dialogue as a storytelling mechanism. And then there are Mm -hmm. others that have a little bit more prose. And this, to me, does seem like there's a little bit more descriptive prose. um, And it is beautifully done. So I, I completely understand what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely something like, Maybe it was the whole like being stuck on a plane reading it thing, but I'll find out when I do a quick attempt at rereading. Oh my god, I'm gonna try to reread a book. Well, or at least revisiting, right? I mean, you know, revisiting, revisiting. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I know how painful it is for you to reread a book, so we appreciate that you are willing to do that for us and for the great big romance read. I'm gonna try. You're so brave. I do it for all of you. Yeah, you're doing so much. You do so much for the podcast, Jess. <laughs> don't I know it? Oh, all right. Well, we would love to hear what all of you are thinking. Please don't hesitate to send us um, your thoughts and feelings and, um, you know, just in general, what you are thinking about, what you'd be interested in hearing us chat about. Um, we are recording two weeks from today, which is, I think, September 19th. So send them before that, but you can send them... Um, along our way. Uh, and I think last, but certainly not least, not uh, at all. we were going to do some recommendations. And I was thinking um, one thing that was kind of, that might be kind of interesting, because there's so much to read, and it always feels like you're behind, or I always feel like I'm behind. And then I find a backlist thing that I didn't realize that I didn't know about. And there's just a lot happening. So um, <laughs> I thought it might be kind of interesting to let ourselves off the hook a little bit and um, get into some of the books or series or authors that we came to late, um, or at least kind of late-ish, you know, maybe after there had been some buzz or after they had been recommended multiple times. Um, mm-hmm. One of mine will fall squarely in that latter category. You will know it when you hear it. Um <laughs> And so, yeah, so we, I don't know, I thought that we might be kind of a fun way to let everyone know that everyone finds the romance they need in their own time. Yes, uh, it's, it's so true. And, you know, there are authors that whose name come across your Goodreads or your Twitter over and over and over again. And maybe you even add them to your to read list or, or follow them on Twitter and then just nothing. Yeah. Um, and that is actually what happened for me with my first recommendation and is the author Christina C. Jones. Oh, yeah. I added the first book by her that I discovered to my Goodreads to read list in 2016. 
I followed her on Twitter. I followed her on Facebook. I pick up Girl Have You Read when it comes in my email. I go to the website every once in a while. I kind of follow the Girl Have You Heard Twitter account, even though I don't listen to the podcast because there are too many in my life. (laughs) Um, And yet, I just kept adding her books to my want to read list. Finally, finally, like three weeks ago, I pulled one onto Kindle Unlimited, off of Kindle Unlimited and read it in three hours. And now I am her loyal subject until we both die. Yay! <laughs> what was the book? That book was I Think I Might Love You. And the meat cute is the total meat disaster. And it was perfect. And I love both characters. And I hate both characters because they have some stuff to deal with, but I love them because they have some stuff to deal with. And her writing is just great. And she has 30 books for me to read. Oh my someday. gosh. Wow. Someday. <laughs> so yeah. Like that's actually the more satisfying situation though, right? As opposed to somebody who you're like, oh my gosh, this is my new favorite author and they only have one book and their next one's not coming out for eight months. Oh no. Oh, uh, no. I have that's I've not experienced that exact thing. I'm well, I'm sure I have. Uh, I don't have it to talk about today, but is that that is I'm I'm grateful to, I'm grateful for you that you have 30 books to look forward to. Yes. Someday. Yeah. Yeah. What is the um can you tell us a little bit about I think I might love you? So, I think I might love you is the first in a trilogy about um the love sisters. And the main character has just broken up with her boyfriend, um, in kind of a violent screaming match. And we've all been there. (laughs) And is going to her sister's apartment. Her sister travels a lot. Um, so she figures she'll have a place to stay for the night. She has a key, whatever. So she goes to her sister's apartment and she's in the kitchen and this naked dude shows up and is like, what the heck? And she, screams, punches him in the face, and kicks him in the crotch. Sure. Um, Again. I mean, who hasn't been there? (laughs) And it turns out that he is her sister's tenant because she had started subleasing her apartment while she's traveling all over the place. Got it. And then hopefully they're able to repair that friendship and it all works out. (laughs) Eventually. Yeah. Eventually. Fair. Wow. All right. Well, uh, I think I actually have one of those books in my wish list also somewhere down the line. So, and it might actually even be that one. So good mm-hmm. to know that in three hours I could experience the magic also. You could, you could. Uh, so I having talked, I think it was maybe cause Nalini Singh is on my brain, but one of the series that I came late to, um, because I, as you all may know, if you have listened to the podcast for a while, SFF, um, science fiction fantasy is not generally my thing. Like, it's just kind of not, it's not where I'm immediately drawn, which is kind of weird because every time I get some good recommendations and read it, I actually really enjoy it. Um, and it's fun to get outside of my box, but, um, I avoided, uh, SFF romance for a while. And I think I ended up needing to, pick up, you know, I was trying to diversify some reviews I was doing and stuff and reviewing some backlist. And so I can't remember who pointed me in the general direction of Slave to Sensation by Nalini Singh, which is the first book in the Psy Changeling series, which is probably the series for which she is best known. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, gosh, 
at least a dozen books by now. More than that, I think. There's like a whole spin-off trilogy. Um, so anyway, like I said, I was a little bit skeptical going in, but it's actually um, Slave to Sensation is a delightful book. I've read the first few in the series, but um, focusing kind of on that one. Um, so Sasha is a Psy, which is like these very logical, like almost like robotic kind of people you're not so they're not supposed to have any feelings but she does jess uh and yeah i know but she has to keep them hidden because if people if the rest of the sci find out she's gonna be you know like reprogrammed or something it's a big problem she has this super powerful mom um and they are doing and her mom is like not sympathetic at all like her, she would not even tell her mom that she's having these feelings um, because they are psi and they are not supposed to have feelings. So they're doing these business deals with the changelings who are more emotional. And as the name would suggest, they change into animals. It's, you know, a whole thing. Um, and they have this business deal. Um, and Lucas, who is a changeling, um, is initially using Sasha at first and then kind of picks up on the fact that she might be a little bit different. And then they start having these kind of overlapping dreams where they are dreaming the same things. Things get a little bit uh, steamy, I will say. Um, and yeah, it's just a really great book. The Changeling people seem like they're so much fun. They're just very nice. And they have these like little children that are sometimes like baby animals and sometimes like they're baby children because they're changelings. <laughs> they're sort of adorable. They like hide in people's shoes and stuff. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah, it's like a really lovely book. And I remember really enjoying the others that I read in this series as well. Um, but I came late to that series, but I'm very glad I discovered it. And actually, I think I'm going to read the the newer trilogy um, pretty soon because reminiscing about the book made me realize how much I liked it and how I kind of miss it. So I might be coming to it late twice that I came <laughs> to it late initially. And now I there's been too long of a gap. Well, I mean, sometimes, sometimes that's necessary. <laughs> Thank you for your unconditional support. I appreciate it. All right. What else you got? Well, I'm I'm sticking to authors because when I come upon an author who has multiple series, I tend to pop around. Oh yeah, um, which is what happened with T.J. Clune. Oh hey, speaking of T.J. Clune, um, I knew of his existence for a while. He was he was actually one of the first authors whose Dream Spinner books I bought when I was talking about you know discovering them and buying some of their books early on. Um, but I have yet to read those books. I actually didn't sit down to read a TJ Klune book until last year when a friend of mine was waxing poetic about Wolf Song. Um, and I bought it and read it on a hillside next to a racetrack, paying attention to absolutely nothing else while my husband took photos of Porsches going in circles. Um, as well. <laughs> As one does. And talk about words and art. Like, I was enraptured with this book. And this, if you aren't familiar with Wolf Song, it is a combination romance and coming of age story um, that takes place in two parts, sort of the b- before and the after. Um, and Ox is a teenager when we first meet him. And he and this um, younger kid, Joe, have an instant connection when they meet. And it turns out Joe speaks to him. And it's the first time that he said anything in almost a year. Um, and they, they're just like BFFs completely connected to each other for life kind of thing. Um, and then they get older and things happen and Ox learns that Joe and his family are wolves and other things happen. And then 
we're in the adult side of the book. Um, but you have to get there yourself because it's an, a fascinating journey. Um, and, and of course, because that was such an emotional uprising in my body, I haven't actually touched the other two that are already out. And there are two more that are coming out. Um, whenever TJ actually gets his rights back so he can publish them himself. Yeah. And I think he's one of the authors that I believe is, uh, getting his rights back from Amazon. So it's possible we're going to link to Wolfsong, but it's possible if it's not up, um, when you try to link to it and buy it or download it, check back. Cause I know that his intention is to republish, I believe, um, independently, um, and not through a different press, but he did mention on Twitter that, um, I'm almost sure it was him, uh, mentioned on Twitter that he was pulling the books, but that they would be going back up, but that he's new to, you know, independent publishing. And so it may take a minute. So be patient. It sounds like it's, it will, it will be worth your while. Yeah. And like one, one way to like sort of get around that, that's not being completely horrible, <laughs> um, is to see if your library has it, because that is money that would have already been paid to the publisher when it was acquired. Um, so you would be supporting your local library and sort of, you know, doing what you can to get the word out about a particular author without having to dive into what's happening between the publishers and the authors. Yeah, that's a wonderful, wonderful suggestion for all of the Dream Spinner authors. It also looks like um, Wolfsong, at least on Amazon, and obviously other people, people prefer whichever outlet they prefer. But there are a lot of used copies as well, um, which again, is sort of outside of probably the publishing mess that's going on right now. <laughs> so anywho, so yeah, track it down one way or another. Just another thing about TJ Klune is the fact that he writes so many different kinds of things. Like I literally just like three hours ago finished listening to How to Be a Movie Star, um, which is a completely different kind of story. Like the, the main character is a, um, demisexual hipster stoner who wants to be in acting and he falls in love with a, well, he, grows into like um with a guy who's basically uh that universe is Chuck Tingle. So Oh, sure. Yeah. Mhm. So yeah. Yeah, there's it's it's so much fun and it's a completely different feeling, but the writing is still there. You might be laughing your head off, but the way that the that it's all put together is similarly like mind-boggling. Like how does somebody put these words down onto paper? You know, we may have to do um, a show sometime or at least some recommendations of authors who are great at that because it's a really impressive and unique skill. Like most of the authors, if you think about it, if they write historical, then they just write historical. Or if they write mm -hmm. science fiction or fantasy, then they just write that. But there are a few that do, you know, jump back and forth from different subgenres really successfully. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's a fun idea. I like that. I like that idea. We'll do that. All right. Boom. Look at us Boom. planning ahead. Be excited, everybody. <laughs> another so another genre that I came 
Well, I, I've mentioned before that I came late to historical romance because I didn't think I was going to like it. But I came even later to uh, historical romance not set in England, which <laughs> uh, in most cases for me means set in the United States. And there are uh, a few different authors that we've talked a lot about who do that very, very well. Alyssa Cole and Beverly Jenkins um, are two that, that jump to mind. But one that I I know we've talked about once maybe twice, but I, we haven't talked about that much, um, is Piper Hughley. And her books are um, really, they're a little bit different from some of the other ones. Like the, uh, there's a, she's an inspirational writer, meaning that her books are um, pretty heavily uh, focused on, you know, Christianity in one way or another. Um, in the, a uh, book, The Preacher's Promise, which is the first book by her that I read. It's the first in her um, Home to Milford College series. Uh, Virgil, who is the uh, one of the main characters, is the mayor, the blacksmith, and sometimes the preacher who gets, you know, kind of worked up about all of the different uh, things that he's preaching about. Um, and the town is called Milford. It's a town of, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, I don't know if it if the whole town is mostly former and formerly enslaved people, or if just kind of the community within the town that Virgil and Amanda, who is um, a teacher from up North who comes down to, to teach the children in uh, Milford, the, the, um, the children of the formerly enslaved. And it, like I said, it's, they're almost, they're a little bit rougher. Like they're a little bit, um, you know, in Beverly Jenkins books, which are wonderful, wonderful, wonderful books and so well researched and so great, it seems like oftentimes somebody, their family's kind of wealthy or somebody's kind of got a leg up in life or, you know, like things are kind of working out. In mm -hmm. Piper Hughley's books, there, you know, Virgil is struggling and Amanda is struggling and um, Virgil has, uh, he's a widower. His wife passed away, um, while giving birth to his daughter. Again, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and so there, there is a little, there's kind of a struggle in them, which just feels very real and feels very, um, kind of genuine. And I don't know. I, I really like her books a lot. They're a little bit different than some of the other historical, um, romance that I've read set in the United States. And I, I, did come to them a little bit late, but I would absolutely recommend them. Um, they're very, very well done. So again, a good place to start is The Preacher's Promise by Piper Hughley. Yeah. And you know, I still haven't read those. I've actually only read one Piper Hughley book, and that was the A Champion's Heart, which set during the Depression. So she, she kind of covers some ground as yeah. far as history of the United States. Mm-hmm. In, in the inspirational black historical romance world. <laughs> yeah. And I should have mentioned, um, the preacher's promise and that series takes place in the late 1860s. So this is just after the civil war. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, elements of reconstruction and the failures of reconstruction in that as well. All right. Do you have another one or should I, um, finish with my, my last? I, I have another one and it's, it's kind of, it's it's an odd one because it's not so much that I came late as that I discovered her after she'd written a whole bunch of stuff in a very fast amount of time. Um, and if that is an, a, a good enough hint, uh -huh. it is Talia Hibbert. I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like we all came late to the Talia Hibbert party because she had like eight books written before... 
anybody had even figured her out. Yeah, it was like, you know, things, I think um, the princess trap was was the one that was showing up on my feed, like in, in Goodreads and and sort of in other places. So not on Twitter, I think. Um, but she had already started the Just For Him series and had written The Princess Trap. And I didn't really come, come into the, the world, um, until actually several months after A Girl Like Her was written. And I, I finally was like, I'm just going to sit down and read this, see what this is all about. And then I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to buy all of the things that she's already written. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry. Every other book I was supposed to read this week. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Yeah, so it's one of those things where she had the time, so she did the writing. And I still haven't made it through her entire backlist because I've been sort of holding on to some things for a rainy day. Um, and now she's publishing with Avon and also pu still self-publishing. And it's just like, I hope I can keep up. Yeah. Is there a, I, you, I think still, and I've now read at least half a dozen of her books, but I think you still have read more of them than I have, even despite that. Is there a place that you would recommend that people start with Talia Hebert? I still think a girl like her is, it, and the, the whole, um, Ravenswood, um, series, all four of those books are just absolutely amazing and do include um, damaged goods because even though it's a 0.5 book, it's a full length novel. And it's actually, I think my favorite of the series. Same. Um, but they're all just so good. And it's worth reading a girl like her, at least before damage. Like it's damaged goods. Damaged goods is my favorite too, but I think it's worth because a girl like her is also great. Read it and you'll kind of, get some of the pieces of damaged goods in a way that you wouldn't otherwise. Yeah. Like even if you like, I think that they, they break well into pairs if you have to like start somewhere and then go to something else and then come back. Like a girl like her and damaged goods work as kind of a duology. And then the other two, which I am blanking on because they are about <laughs> the brothers, <laughs> then they work together as well. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a, yeah, that's a fantastic series. Um, and I think you are the person who recommended Talia Hibbert to me. Uh, and I listened to you and for a very, very long time, uh, there's another author who you've been recommending to me who I had not picked up, not because I didn't trust you, just because, you know, there are so many books. Um, but finally, I picked up a book recently called It Takes Two to Tumble. Uh, and I finally came very, very late to Kat Sebastian, um, who hey. you've been telling me is wonderful for a long time. And you are a thousand percent right. Um, <laughs> it Takes Two to Tumble is the only one I've read so far. But I, because you have been recommending them for so long and once in a while one will go on sale, I think I actually own like five books by Kat Sebastian. So I will not have <laughs> to buy any more books this month. Um, hey, that works. So... It Takes You to Tumble, as you have probably heard Jess talk about on this podcast, is sort of like a Sound of Music-inspired uh, historical romance set in England. I never know the difference between Victorian and Regency. Don't at me, so I don't know which one it is. Um, maybe it's neither. Who knows? Um, but anyway, so Philip is sort of a, like grumpy sea captain who's much more at home uh, on the sea than he is in his actual home. Um, he has these three children that he left behind with his wife, but unfortunately his wife um, passed away. And so now the kids are uh, kind of driving away all of their governesses and tutors and everyone by being sort of naughty. 
Uh, <laughs> and helpfully, Ben, who is the local vicar, who is just like consistently very cheerful and happy and delightful, um, which you know how I feel about a nice guy hero. <laughs> Uh, he comes and he, you know, he's been hanging out with the kids for a couple of weeks, has been making a lot of progress with them before Philip, uh, comes home. And you eventually find out that Philip, um, lost a lieutenant that he was in a relationship with. Um, and Ben is in sort of this complicated situation of being betrothed to his best friend who is, uh, had been stricken with illness and is, unable to walk and so both are in these very complicated situations um but it is sort of delightful to watch them figure out first they're kind of navigating their feelings for each other and then also kind of trying to figure out their circumstances um but again it's another author whose writing is really beautiful and um i would certainly recommend uh it takes two to tumble and i have a feeling by the time we are recording again i'll be able to recommend other cat sebastian books as well so <laughs> i came late to the party but thank you for inviting me jess welcome welcome thank you uh and i think is that oh you know what else actually i was just going to mention i think my next uh i came late to this but i'm going to pick it up is going to be stripped by zoe castile um, yes because they mentioned it on the <laughs> rome book love podcast and i was like you know what I have to listen to Jess more, so <laughs> it's time. And I think the third book in that series just came out. So now it's, I think, completed. And so I will be probably picking that one up, too. We'll see. Awesome. <laughs> Give it a couple of weeks. I'll keep you guys posted. <laughs> uh, but I think those were all I had. Was there anything else you wanted to mention? Um, I that was mine. I, I did want to mention one author that I think I own several of her books, but only just read the first one. Um, by her it was Tessa Bailey, and oh yeah, that, and like it took me a while to actually pick up Fix Her Up. So, but now it's like, well, I have to go pull all of the Tessa Bailey books off of my shelf and actually read them. I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I guess it's it's a real burden. It's a real burden to be having to read Ugh. all of the books that you bought by someone that you've just recently discovered you like. I know, it's so <laughs> terrible. That is awesome. I actually have Fixer Up and haven't read it, so I will have to pick that one up too. It was fun. All right. Well, let us know what books you came late to or what uh, books you think we have not yet come around to that we should. Um, <laughs> just, you know, in general, what you're reading and thinking about, what you're excited about regarding the uh, Ladies' Guide to Celestial Mechanics, and whether or not I've gotten your name wrong. Because it <laughs> seems like if you have a name, there's a good chance that I messed it up. Uh, so please let us know that, too. You've done well with my name, Trisha. Thank you, Jess. See, you're just so supportive. <laughs> I do what I can. I know. And speaking of your name, where will people find you if they want to let you know um, what they are thinking about this week? You can find me on Twitter at Jess is reading, all one word, or on Instagram at Jess underscore is underscore reading. Um, and as usual, you can send an email to our uh, shared uh, when in romance at bookriot.com email account 
That would be lovely. And you can find me uh, individually at Trisha Haley Brown on Instagram and Twitter uh, at the email address, like Jess mentioned. Please uh, don't hesitate to rate and review the podcast if you are liking it. Uh, or if you're not, let us know what you think. Um, although good for you for listening this long if you don't like it. Uh, <laughs> but it does help other folks to be able to find it out in the ether. So let us know, yeah, as always, what you're thinking. Absolutely. And until then, happy reading. Happy reading, everybody. Everybody.